Hey, Joe, how you doing? Great. How are you? Good, good. You actually went to WWDC this year. How did it go? It was pretty good. I didn't go to the show itself. I was just in San Jose in the city area proper. I have actually never gone to the actual conference of WWDC, which is interesting. But uh, I just enjoy being there in the room, uh, you know, or in the in town, so to speak, because I get to see a lot of people I would ordinarily not get to see. And you're right there with, with all the Apple stuff. And of course, you get some contact with some Apple employees who happen to be wandering around the city who I've met over the years as well. That's awesome. I've read your blog post about like suggestions on how to do WWDC on a budget. Mm-hmm. Do you attend any of the conferences in the area? Yeah, I, I will often uh, spend some time at all conferences. That's free anyway. Uh, and it's it's got some incredible content. And this year, they actually asked me, this is the second year in a row, actually, they asked me to be part of a panel. This time, I was actually running a panel on uh, subscriptions for apps, which was great because it was on, I think, Wednesday morning or something like very early in the morning or Tuesday morning. I think it was right after the keynotes, the, the day after the keynote. Uh, and a bunch of people showed up for a you know a business talk about subscriptions at, at Dub, which I thought was really cool. Any general thoughts this year on WWDC this year as opposed to other years? Yeah, I mean, this was one of those big years. I think the last time we had one of these was probably when they dropped Swift itself. Yeah, yeah uh, that's exactly my thought too. Yeah, they put that on our lap and we were, no one was expecting it. We knew Apple was working on a language, but you know, we thought it was a few more years off. And I felt the same way about Swift UI. I knew this declarative thing was happening, but I really didn't think it would be this year. And I don't think many of us did. And so it, was, it came to a big, as a big surprise. And as I started looking over you know, everything I'm going to have to learn, everything I have to do this year, and even just the things on my little apps, a couple of my own personal projects that I have to do uh, to, to get ready for, for a proper fall launch. Uh, it's it's a lot of work. So all that happiness and joy at like having all these great new toys <laughs> suddenly turned to, oh, there goes my summer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh no, look at all. It's like all this new stuff, all this new fun stuff I got to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it seems like everybody was looking forward to Marzipan and then this whole declarative UI stuff comes out and it's like, oh, wow, this is this is a real big deal. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's talking about stealing thunder. Uh, poor Marzipan didn't get a chance. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joe, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Joe Chplinski and uh, I am a freelance, if you will, uh, independent software developer and uh, designer. I've been doing this for quite a while. Whatever it takes to keep me out of the day job is the way I usually put it. So uh, I've worked worked with different people at different uh, partnerships uh, over the years. I've also worked solo on projects as well. So I do a lot of contracting work in addition to having a few products of my own as well. Awesome. I've known Joe since the first Release Notes conference. Mm -hmm. And then we connected up uh, a couple of months ago at Piers in New Orleans. Mm Mm-hmm. I definitely enjoy going to business conferences for developers and release notes. It's definitely one of the top in that regard. If you're especially in the Apple space, it's, it is the one to go to. Yeah, yeah. We've had a good successful run and we're very happy to bring it back this year. We took a year off last year, but yeah, getting exciting that we're getting to that time again where we're going to be back at the conference. As you may have heard, I will be speaking at 360 iDev in Denver on August 27th. If you're a developer in the Apple platform, you should highly consider attending this year. i360 Dev is a leading indie iOS, Mac, Apple Watch, and tvOS developer conference in the United States, and it's a great way to meet others in the community. Just go to 360idev.com and use the promo code Friends in High Places to get 20% off. Again, that's 360idev.com and the promo code Friends in High Places. I'm looking forward to seeing you there.
So right after New Orleans, I had picked up a subcontracting gig. And while you did an excellent episode of release notes on subcontracting, which we'll link in the notes, Mm -hmm. but you also did a talk on subcontracting and peers. And I thought now that I'm kind of in the quiet time, uh, what do they say? Famine, I guess the famine (laughs) part of my uh, yearly cycle. I thought it would be good to like catch up on and talk a little bit more about subcontracting some of the experiences that people have, some of the doubts that people have. And maybe like we can just get started talking about how'd you get started doing subcontracting gigs? Yeah, it was one of those things where I've just always depended a lot on networks and friends and people that I've known. Uh, and so for me, it's a constant thing, a battle out there. You're always out there having to, you know, meet new people and, you know, let them know you're available and things of that nature. And so like many contractors for a while there, I was relying too heavily on one or two things. I had way too money, you know, too much of my income was based off just a few clients. And so what ended up happening, of course, is the inevitable thing that happens to all of us. You know, that client eventually went away. They basically got out of the business that I was helping them with. And so it's, I was suddenly kind of in this boat where for the first time ever, really, part of this, I should say, I was doing mostly design. I had never really worked as a contractor in developments prior to this. But I had learned code to code over the a couple of years prior to that. And, you know, through talking with friends, got better and better at it, built a number of my own apps. And so what happened was I was kind of in a spot where I was saying to myself, oh, how, how am I going to make up all this lost revenue? And at the same time, I had wanted to get into contracting for development as well. It's because that's, you know, it's one of those, you've got to get over that uh, imposter syndrome. You know, it's like, yeah, okay, exactly. how, how good at this am I, right? And so <laughs> for me, it was one of those things where like, I could never have want, gone to a client and, you know, and pitched at that time. I just wasn't confident enough in myself. But so it, it subcontracting came, kind of came to my rescue. It was one of those things where it's like, if you find a friend who's relatively, you know, trusting in you that you've worked with before, or at least you've known for a long time, and they kind of know the quality of your, your abilities, uh, and they take a chance on you, basically. And so I did that for my first couple of big jobs were, were through subcontracting through, you know, larger agencies who, who just put, put a little faith in me, basically. And that worked out really well and ended up being that, I, you know, I, I did better than I thought I would at it. Yeah, <laughs> and, it yeah. and it was one of those things where it's like, I kind of like this. I know subcontracting is kind of a dirty word in our industry. And a lot of people, you know, like they get into being independent because they want their own. <laughs> that's, that's the whole point right, is like, you, right. don't have, you don't have a boss. But this isn't, it, it, for me, it, subcontracting doesn't have to be a bad experience at all. And if you're working with good people, yeah, there are more people involved. So there's a little more juggling involved. Uh, but at the end of the day, like I, I can get to work and and certain kinds of jobs that I wouldn't be able to get on my own otherwise. Right? You know, it's so I, I do appreciate being able to stretch my wings and my abilities a little more in meatier, bigger, juicier contracts that would never go to a solo person. You know, I think, yeah, I'm really, I'm really interested in why it gets a bad rap mm-hmm. because I also see it from the other side of the perspective. If you're a company, you want an Android app. You want a web app and like those of us like us who are really specialized in the iOS space don't appreciate that a lot of companies, they need a big agency. They need a lot of talent with multiple, you know, server side, other components to the whole application environment. And like one of the things about being an iOS developer is like they might need a special expertise, like for instance, on like Apple Watch, like your guy who knows React or Vue is not going or, you know, SQL is not going to know how to develop an Apple Watch. And that's where like subcontracting would be beneficial to all parties, right? Because then, you know, I need this guy who's specialized in the Apple Watch stuff. Like Joe, he knows how to do it. 
he's done stuff with HealthKit, for instance, with the Recaf. And it's like you can bring that specialized talent with a subcontracting gig and really bring that to the table. Yeah, exactly. And so as long as you're able to, to kind of figure out where your niche is, you know, what, where you fit into the game, yeah, exactly. You, you can fill in these holes in a lot of people's teams. And even I found a lot, of, a lot of teams will hire agencies. They already have an internal team, right? So for the trend for years has been for people to just hire usually like recent graduates, right? And build their own team. You know, Slack did that. A lot of these startups just started right, saying, well, right. instead of contracting out to a Black Pixel or to a one of the others, a, you know, Martian Craft or one of those, what they would do is just say, we'll build our own team. We'll just do the whole thing ourselves. But even in those situations, as they're growing and they're getting 10, 11, 12, 15 people on their team, eventually they realize there's still too many features we have to build and we can't just hire that many people. You know? Right, right. Or we've got a bunch of team of juniors and we kind of need a few senior people to come in and help us re-architect a thing or to rewrite something. And so those in those situations, uh, I think more and more of these, these internal teams even are hiring people, bringing in an agency to say, like, can you throw me three or four developers for six months so we can get these extra features out that we just haven't had time to build? And those opportunities are out there. And again, a larger company like that is going to be looking more often to an established agency, somebody who has 10, 11 employees full-time to do those jobs. And those agencies are always, they're always in this kind of position where as they grow, you know, they get to that first employee, to second employee, to third employee. They always have a little too much work, right? Until then they, then they hire the next person and then they'll have not enough. So they, they right. won't be, they won't be hiring, you know, you anytime <laughs> soon for that. But then eventually they'll get one too many contracts again and they'll need another person. There's, you're always in that constant state of, you know, if you're in a growth phase, you're always going to be in that constant state of having a little bit too much work sometimes. And those, you know, becoming known as someone who's reliable to be able to be brought in in a pinch like that is a very valuable thing I found. What are some things that, what are some of the challenges that you've faced with subcontracting or what are some of the reasons that, besides, I, I guess, the brand name, what are some reasons why subcontracting gets a bad rap? I think a lot of it comes down to people, like everything else. Um, you know, if, if you, there, there's not good communication going on between the teams. One of the things I brought up in my talk at Peers was that oftentimes what will happen is you'll get brought in to a job and you won't even find out until the day of the first meeting that's the client, the end client who's actually, you're actually working for doesn't even know that you're a subcontractor, right? And it's fine. <laughs> it's fine if they don't know that, right? It's fine that they don't know. Yeah. You, know, you could give me an email address with your, you know, your domain name and pretend that I'm on your team. It's okay. I don't, but you have to tell me that ahead of time. Right, right, right. And let me know. And yeah. so in a lot of those cases, you can be in situations where often the project management kind of slips aside or, you know, because that agency is juggling so many different jobs. And again, luckily, I've, I've had very little experience with this. Uh, the teams, agencies who've hired me for the most part have been really on the ball, which is great. But, you know, it, it can happen where you, you're just miscommunicating. And, and so now you're constantly having to go back to the agency to say, well, you need to do this and this and this to get this, keep this relationship going, or this is falling apart. This is not working because you don't, I don't feel professionally that I should be going directly to the end client for that when I'm, you know, it's not my job. It's not my contract. So those kinds of situations, uh, you know, personality uh, struggles and, uh, and miscommunication, I think, is probably the number one reason why a lot of people end up getting into trouble with themselves. I think, you know, maintaining that level of professionalism and knowing what exactly is your place in this team uh, and how do you fit in and where is my place and where is not my place. And I think those kinds of things really help. Yeah, I think it's important to always defer anything to your client, whatever agency you're working with, whatever is that in between agency, I guess we'll call it, mm -hmm. first before you start <laughs> 
saying things or making assumptions that aren't necessarily there. And I think obviously with the more technical stuff, you can directly talk to the client, but if there are certain things you have to understand, you're the representative of that agency and act in accordance with that way, rather than trying to jump over them in any way. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I know when I when I was proposing this talk to uh, Jessica, who runs PierceConf, she has dealt with uh, various different levels of subcontracting over her time. And she said, you know, a lot of the times what will happen is an agency will hire you. They'll come at you with a, well, you know, this is going to take five hours or this is going to take 10 hours. And then it ends up being a 60 hour project. And now mm-hmm. they don't, they don't want to go back to, they don't have the guts to go back to the client and ask for more money. And it's like, well, I'm not going to do this job for free. Yeah, so, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so, but then they just, rather than go to a client and say, we need more money, they'd rather go to you and say, well, can you do it for less? And in those kinds of situations, uh, luckily I've been t- totally able to avoid it. Pretty much everyone I work with understands like my time is valuable and will, you know, pay me. And now sometimes that's their choice though. And this is a, a really important thing that I, I learned early on, like, I don't ever talk to the end client about money, right? Because yes, if absolutely, if the scope is creeping, or if something is getting out of hand, I don't say, well, you, you know, you're gonna have to pay more for that. I, I just quietly take it offline, as we say in the industry, like, yep, t- talk to the agency, uh, you know, the middleman, so to speak, and, and, and say, look, you're gonna have to go back. And this is, you know, the scope is getting out of hand and let them handle it. Because sometimes, Agencies will say, you know what? This client is so valuable to me. I'll eat 10 extra hours of your time. Exactly. Because I'd rather keep this long-term relationship. And they get to make that choice. Not, you know, I, sh- I don't need to be shooting my mouth off. I just think that a lot of people make that mistake where they get frustrated and then they start venting that frustration directly at the client. And the only thing that's going to happen in that situation, you're never going to solve a problem that way. All you're going to do is make yourself feel better for five minutes and then prove to them and the agency that who hired you. That you're not reliable. <laughs> that, yeah, that you're not professional. Exactly. You're not, yeah. that you're, yeah, don't ever tire this person again. Uh, so. <laughs> So it really it does. It behooves you to kind of stay patient, and I, I think that's a trick that a lot of people uh, haven't necessarily learned in our industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think money is number one. Like that's the yeah. thing you don't want to talk to the client about. Like that, yeah. you do deal with that with the agency mm-hmm. and talk to them, and then like scheduling. You always want to let the agency know. Like oh, I'm going to be gone for a week, and then it, you know they're like, oh, fine, go ahead, let the client know. You know things like that. I think are best handled that way but mm-hmm. yeah other thing is like don't try to number one i i think we both can agree on is don't try to uh sell yourself independently of right. agency that would be a disaster <laughs> Very bad, uh, yeah. but some people do that you know they just they want to get their name out and it's like you know yeah. uh, you know what by the way if you hire me you can pay less and i'll get more money and like no 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 just, right that would be a horrible horrible thing to do yeah, I mean, if someone approached me with that, if I were hiring a, you know, a company and then the, one of their subcontractors came at me with that kind of an offer, I would be, uh, first off, I'd tell the agency, hey, by the way, your subcontractor is yes, saying this. Yes, exactly. uh, and, sec- and second off, I would definitely refuse the offer because it's just, it's not the kind of person I want to work with, right? But yeah. you're right. There are those, and that is one of the downsides of subcontracting. So on top of the one thing that you have to keep in mind as you're doing this is that these are not your clients. You are not building your own client base. You're building a client base of these agencies, these, exactly. uh, these middle people. Exactly. But, but they're always going to be in a state like you don't want to get to that same boat that I was in before where I have this one agency that I keep going back to because like I said before, they're eventually going to hire a full-timer. If they're that much over their full-time staff with work, if they're that overloaded on a regular basis, they're going to fill that gap with a full-timer because a full-timer is going to be cheaper for them. You know, sooner or later, they're not going to have a job for you. In other words, and so you need to make sure that, uh, you know, you're building a client list of your own on, uh, as well. And I find that pretty challenging, like in the midst of all these contracts, to spend that time actually going out and finding your own work as well and, and trying to build yourself into those larger jobs. Because, you know, like I said, these subcontracting jobs, because they're larger contracts, 
with larger agencies for bigger jobs, you know, building whole apps in some cases or building, you know, you tend to make a lot more money in a short period of time that way. But you can't rely only on that because eventually that goes away. And so, yeah, you have to budget that time out really effectively. Yeah. What are some other particulars that you can think of when it comes to subcontracting and iOS development? Another thing to keep in mind is that you want, you're walking into an existing culture in some situations, right? Either you're working with three or four people who are part of this middle person agency, or you're being hoisted into a team on the client side. And they have a culture that they've established. They have a way of doing things, a way of working that is established. And you want to just follow along with that. You really don't want to say, well, you know, I have this strong opinion about how this should be. Yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> you know, save that for your own projects or for, uh, you know, new projects that are starting off. Or when you get a team that you can get comfortable enough with to start break, you know, kind of reaching out and saying, well, I, I feel like we could do this better. We could do this. If the agency has a style guide, follow it. You know, if they use optionals versus, they, you know, they don't, you know, follow, <laughs> follow their rules, you know, and, and go along with their flow, even if it's not the way you would do it at home. Because you're not at home. You're working. So your best bet there is, is to get along with the team. And I found that what will happen with teams is they'll want to work together with the same people over time. So the agency will start pairing you up with other subcontractors that you work with together well. And then you can start finding the kinds of the tasks and jobs that you like doing. And we, you can kind of share. Like oftentimes, you'll, I'll work with someone who's complimentary to me. Like I love doing UI stuff. I love doing all of the stuff that actually the customer is actually playing with on the phone. Mm. You know, the, the, all the gestures, all the animations, all that stuff. It's, it's painstaking and it takes a long time to get exactly feeling right. A lot of developers, I've learned, a lot of developers hate doing all that stuff. It's one of the reasons why a lot of people are excited about Swift UI because Apple does a lot of this stuff for free for you now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you can concentrate on your models. You can concentrate on your data layer. Yep. Uh, and, and a lot of developers only want to do that and they couldn't care less about the UI. And it, it dawns on me now, finally, why when all those years when I was a designer, why I couldn't get developers to care that the thing was five pixels off to the left or that this thing was <laughs> the wrong color. I'm like, because they're not, that's not where their mind is. Their mind is in make sure this thing doesn't crash. Make sure that it's as fast and efficient and it's not killing the battery. And you know, all of those really important fundamental principles of computer science. And for me, I, like, I, that stuff's interesting, but I'm, I, I don't feel like I'll ever be as good at that as I am at caring about the end user experience. And so I've learned that if I specialize in that stuff, I'm taking tasks, I'm taking issues off, you know, off the plate that uh, other people don't want to do anyway. And it's great. <laughs> it works out really well. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you, one thing you're selling yourself on is a particular niche. Mm -hmm. And I think that's super helpful when it comes to like subcontracting because they might need somebody who's particular, uh, like with the UI design and interactivity and things like that. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing to consider if you're going to go that subcontracting route is find a particular niche or set of APIs that you're specialized in because right. that might fill that gap within an agency or within any team. Yeah, I mean, no matter how hard you try to be a jack of all trades, it's really next to impossible these days. There's so many new APIs coming out every year. Yeah, uh, you know, I know several developers who've been at this, you know, they've been in the Mac worlds for 20 years or maybe they've been doing not just iOS, but even that since 2010 and they've never touched entire swap. You know what I mean? They've never <laughs> built a TV OS app, for instance, or they've never built a watch app yet, or they've never, they've never touched HealthKit. Like there's so many different, I haven't touched ResearchKit, you know what I mean? So there's, there's definitely different aspects of, you know, programming. Uh, and you can't master them all. You really can't. No, uh, you, you can't. You, you can be a bit of a generalist, but I think it really helps you if you can, you know, because that's one of the first things that I get asked all the time 
when I'm talking to people who run agencies or even in clients is, well, what kind of apps do you specialize in? They want to know that because if you just say, oh, I kind of do anything and I like right. everything, well, it doesn't give them a, a category to put in their head. So when that phone call comes and a client says, I really, really need someone who, who understands HealthKit. Oh, I know, Joe, I was just talking to him about HealthKit, right? Yep. Yep. Like it's a that- T-shaped, a T-shaped developer. Like you have some basics of everything down that you can pretty much do anything. But right. it's like you have particular sets of APIs or methods that you're really, really good at. And I think that's super important. And then, like you're saying, one thing I've picked up is kind of building a portfolio of projects I've worked on, but also like APIs that I'm familiar with so that people can say, oh, what have you worked with? Well, I've worked with HealthKit. I've worked with, you know, watch app development and things like that. And being able to rattle those off to an agency is super helpful, not only for them to hire you, but they have to kind of sell you to that client. Exactly. And that is another thing to to remember when you're a subcontractor is that you are ultimately like the agency is going to have to sell you, as you just put it, to that client is like, this is the best person for the job. And whether they're telling them that this is someone someone I work with versus this is someone on our team, either way, they have to pitch you. And so giving that agency the ammunition for that, like being able to describe yourself makes that job so much easier for them. So yeah, don't make them dig in and figure out what your skills are. You you tell them what your skills are. Yeah, yeah. Make their work easier for them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Our sponsor this week is Bright Digit. Bright Digit is my company and we specialize in helping businesses build apps for the iPhone, the iPad, the Apple Watch, and the Mac. I've been building apps for iOS for almost 10 years now. We have an opening for new projects. If you are a company who might already have developers but need help building something for any of the Apple platforms, Send me an email and let's see what Bright Digit can do for you. Contact me personally at leo at brightdigit.com. That's L-E-O at brightdigit.com. And let's see how I can help you and your business. So what are some things that you know companies or agencies should consider when they are subcontracting their work out? Like if you're an agency and you're like, I need a, just an extra iOS developer handle, what, mm-hmm. what should make them consider finding a subcontractor? The obvious benefit is that, especially if your workload, your your surplus of work is short time. It's 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 a temporary. I I signed on one more contract than I normally do, and I've got a, a you know a bunch of, of work here now that needs to be done, and my full timers are already staffed up. At that point, you don't want to necessarily hire a full timer because a, a full timer is a promise that you're going to have work for them for the next two, three, four years straight through, and that might this might be a very temporary bump in your. You know, process. Plus, it takes a while to kind of staff up and get a full timer you know, acclimated to your system and everything else. And you don't want to just throw them into work when you you already have too much of it. And so the idea is is to balance that in the short period. That's a great time to, to put a, sh- a subcontractor on the thing. First off, you, you're getting to test out someone who you know maybe could become a full timer if they were interested. Or in, in either case, that's someone who you can learn that uh, here's, I've got a list of people I can call. If I want this job, I can take it. Even when I don't have the people for it right now, even if my whole team is on another project, I, can, I know I can call these five people and we'll get it done. They want to have that valuable list of, of people in their pocket. And like it, as an agency, you always want to have that list. No matter how much you're growing and how fast your actual full-time staff is growing, you always want to have a couple of people that you can call. I found, you know, even recently, like a couple of the jobs I've been pitching on my own for a couple of different things recently. And the big question that keeps coming up, obviously, everyone keeps asking me, well, do you, uh, do you have Android? You know, can you do the Android app as well? And I'm, I, I always 
I have a great pitch for why you should build them separately, why you should do native and not use a, you know, a, a cross-platform solution. Listen to our previous episode if you're interested <laughs> in that. <laughs> um, yeah, there are great arguments on either side, but like personally, I'd prefer to do native. And so the, I'll explain to them why I can do that. And then, so I will sell them on the idea of you really should have a separate Android, uh, you know, team mm-hmm. doing this. And then they say, well, who is that? You know, can you get that person for me? And I realized that after a couple of these, they're like, oh my God, I need to start going to Android meetups. I need to start meeting people. <laughs> Because yeah. you know what I mean, like it, like agencies have that. Like if they don't have their own full time Android staff, they they at least have other agencies that they've worked with in the past. Like you need to have those people in your Rolodex, and I think even as a subcontractor, you do too. Like you become a more valuable person in general. To you become more valuable to anyone who's hiring. If not only can you do work, but then you know people who can also get the job done. And you've worked with them because you are, especially as a UI guy, right? You're going to yep. work with the Android folks and say, you know, oh, this is what we're doing on iOS. Oh, interesting. We'll do this on Android. Like, it'd be good to find somebody that you can work with in that regard. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And so just, that's, my, that's my newest goal right now is like, I want to have, uh, you know, as many Android people I could go to, uh, or at least three or four, uh, you know, that I could go to on iOS right now, which right now I could pick up the phone and find an iOS person for you in 10 minutes. You right, know, right. W- one of the 20 people that I know is going <laughs> to be available. Uh, but you know, that, that, and that's the trick. So like, you want to make that Rolodex more valuable. You know, you want to you want to be more valuable to the team by being able to provide those links and those introductions. It's really an important aspect I think people overlook. Yeah. So Joe's going to be going to the New York Java Heads meetups, I guess. <laughs> I got to go somewhere. Yeah, I got to figure it out. Like, whatever they a, call it, I don't. I don't know. Whatever dessert Google is calling the next. Yeah, it's, Android. exactly. It's that ice cream sundae or whatever it is now. Yeah, that's. <laughs> it's. It was ironic that Apple went with marzipan. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, actually, actually, if Google were smart, that was that's what they would call the next Android. They would call it Marzipan. That'd be perfect. Are they up to? No, I think they're up to like P or Q or something. Yeah. That, oh, that's right. They've already. Yeah, they do it alphabetically too. I forgot about that too. Oh my god. <laughs> so I guess what I mean. I can't. I don't have time. I don't have time to keep up with iOS, let alone keeping up with everything that's going on in Android. So. For me, though, I, I felt really bad about this for a minute as you know, I had a couple of people asking me and I couldn't answer that question. I, would, I, I started asking my friends around, like, oh, do you, who do you know that does Android? And nobody else seemed to know either. <laughs> like, I, I know what I know is I know React Native folks who mm-hmm. do Android apps. That's more of what I know than Honest to God Kotlin or Java developers who do Android. So, like, I have a couple of React Native folks who would love to do an Android app. But, like, as far as, like, native like real native Android, like, I, I yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm stuck. And if you're <laughs> stuck in New York, like you can imagine me in the middle of the West trying to find an Android de- developer. And I've even, I've done talks at like cross-platform conferences in Europe. You know, the, it's much more common in Europe to have a conference that's, you know, well, it'd be half, one track is iOS and one track is Android. And I've met Android people, but I've never really chatted with them or hung out with them. Or like you said, like there's a certain level of, yeah, I've worked with this person before. I've talked to them enough to know that they kind of know what they're talking about, know what they're doing, so that I feel comfortable vouching for them, right? And you can't get to that level overnight. You really need to spend the time getting to know people. Yeah. Uh, and it's just good for you anyway to go talk to people who don't speak iOS and you know, aren't, their only concern is the broken keyboards on MacBook Pros. You know, like you really, <laughs> you really do need to hear how the other side thinks once in a while, right? Open your perspective a bit. Yeah, you know, talk to the Kotlin folks about declarative UI and like right. they've done that much longer than than those of us who do iOS development. So yeah, exactly. I think it'd be a benefit uh, both both sides. Yeah. So what are some things that you think? 
folks like yourself, iOS developers, should consider when being a subcontractor as far as like how to sell themselves or what what I's they should dot and T's they should cross before they jump into something like this? The first thing to keep in mind is, like I said before, like know your professional, know your place, know, know that if you're getting into this situation that you don't control everything like you do when it's your contract. Uh, it's not that you control, you can never control your clients, right? But you can at least control the negotiations. You can decide when uh, scope is getting out of hand and how to handle that. And you can decide the project management side of things. You're letting go of some of that control when you're subcontracting. And so you have to get out of that mindset of it, things are going to go my way. <laughs> you have to be way more flexible, I think, than you would normally be. Uh, and you already have to be flexible to be a contractor. But I, I think this is like a, an even further um, level of, of flexibility because you really need, you're going to be dealing with more people, more personalities, uh, and you just need to be the person that, you know, you don't want to be the person that no one wants to work with or that they, they, you're just going to be a pain in their butt. You, you want to be the person that, that is going to uh, roll with the punches and get the job done no matter what goes wrong. And so that's one thing to keep in mind. So if like, if you're not super flexible, it might not be right for you. You know, it's definitely something to think about. Uh, and another thing I think is, you know, just be prepared for, like I said, it, it might be going great. You might be the best subcontractor ever and this agency loves you. They're still going to go hire a full-timer when they have enough work for that full-timer, right? Yeah, yes. Because it's cheaper for that. It's, it's how they run their business. They're growing, you know, and and they need to grow. So you can't take it personally when someone doesn't call you or it hasn't called you in ages, right? They'll come back around. They'll be too much work eventually, you know, for that person probably. But you can't sit around waiting for that either. So at the same time, I always would suggest that you are still building your own client base, building yes. your own set of contacts and people that uh, that hire you. The more people that know about you and what you can do, the better off you're going to be. I've been going back to your point about when you are part of the team, kind of go with the flow of the team or whatever development practices they might have. I've actually been in the opposite situation where I've been a subcontractor and they are essentially begging me to show them how to basically do like the development, the development processes of iOS development because mm -hmm. they have no experience when it comes to iOS development. They're like, okay, help us set the groundwork so that when we have a full-time team, we can bring them in because they want somebody to help kind of lay the groundwork for that long-term iOS development. Mm -hmm. Going back to your thing about like, you're going to be dropped at some point for a full-timer. I kind of think, try to think of myself not so much as just like coming in and doing a bunch of code and then getting out, but more like an advisor slash developer of like, like really a true consultant, right? Where it's like, right. you're coming in, you're like, here, this is what, how you want to do your architecture. Here's how you're going to want to do this. And then, you know, honestly, it's like kind of the benefit of being a freelancer is like, you're not going to be there forever, but right. you can like at least lay the groundwork for their development team to like move forward with their app. I've been in those situations where they're just like, you know, please pick whatever, pick a good library to do so-and-so because we want, we're going to be working with this for a long time or please, you know, we're looking for your advice, not just like, okay, how do you do, you do TDD? How do you do architecture? You know, we want your advice because we're starting from a complete blank slate. Yeah. And honestly, that, that kind of consulting and that kind of advice giving is frankly more valuable than, than you should be charging more for it. In other words, yeah. <laughs> you know, like here's how much I charge you to, to write code and then, you know, add, you know, double that for how much I, I charge to tell you how to build a team to break code. Yeah, yeah, uh, you yeah. know what I mean? Those kinds of, those bits of information are worth their weight in gold. And if you're any good at that, uh, that's a whole nother market you can get yourself into. I know some consultants or, you know, some uh, contractors who only, or they don't only, but they like to do and, and they get hired to do specifically just code review. 
They, they literally yep. get hired. Yeah, I know about those kind of businesses. Yeah. 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 Come in and I'll assess your entire code base and tell you everything that's wrong with it and how to re-architect it. I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to show you how or where all, all the trouble spots are. That kind of advice is valuable. It's, it's, it's extraordinarily valuable, especially to a team that knows they're building fast and furious. A team that like, you know, if you think about some of these startups where uh, they're they're hiring people, again, nothing against people who are fresh out of college, but like you're hiring a, a bunch of a team that doesn't have the experience to know those kinds of decisions necessarily. And so, and they're building fast and furious and, and nobody is looking back to see if, if you know, <laughs> if they're doing this carefully enough, you end up acquiring all this uh, technical debt and then you, you, you need to pay it down. And that those kinds of situations, I think a lot of startups find themselves in year two, three or four, they find themselves in that boat where it's like, I, we can't uh, add anything else to this app at this point because it keeps breaking every time we touch anything. Right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, like it, it gets very brittle after a while. And so it's time to come in and, and really rethink the, the way things are architected. So yeah, I, I definitely, if you can get yourself into that kind of a gig, by all means do, because it's, like I said, that's more lucrative even than coding. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Those of us who are developers, just we don't appreciate that as much as we should. Yeah. What other pitfalls do you think uh, subcontractors should know about before we close out? Other pitfalls to worry about is, like I said, don't count on work always being there. It's like any other contracting where uh, you're going to have your feast and famine. You're going to have some times where people want you uh, more and you don't have the time. And then there'll be other times where no one's calling you for a few weeks or a few months. Uh, and so kind of try to manage that appropriately. As I said before, a lot of these subcontracting jobs are pretty lucrative. You can make a lot of money on them, but you know you need to squirrel away that money for a rainy day because it's going to come. Yep, yep. Yeah, so just be aware of that as well. Yeah, I think um, I think that you pretty much covered most of what I wanted to cover when it comes to subcontracting. Uh, I think basically folks need to realize when they are subcontracting, you're a representative of the agency. Don't try to like overstep the uh, bounds of the client you're working with. That's the in-between agency, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you are honest and forthright with the agency. You know, don't talk pay. Uh, be able to sell yourself. I think that's a big thing. Uh, one thing I'm, I'm trying to do is get referrals, like get them as soon as I can. Right. Get those quotes because those really help uh, have a portfolio, have a list of APIs you, you have a real expertise with. They, Understand that your position is temporary and that you eventually the company is going to help hire a full-timer and that's what you're there for. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think overall, like, yeah, it's just this idea that you're a representative of that, of that agency and just, just understand it is temporary and you're there to help fill a gap or fill a need in their times of need. That is exactly your role and don't ever forget that exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much, Joe, for coming on the show yeah. today. Yeah, I was happy to do it. So we're both speaking in Denver this August. Yeah, 360 iDev. I'm looking forward to that. I've, I've been going to that conference longer than any other. Uh, I don't think I've missed a year in Denver now. For I think it's going to be my ninth or tenth year. It's pretty crazy. So I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm, I'm doing a talk there. And you are too, which is cool. We'll get to see each other again. Yeah, what talk are you doing? Mine is a, uh, it's actually interesting. It's going to be a bit more technical than my average talk. I, I often talk about business topics, but in this case, uh, I wanted to pitch something uh, that, uh, you know, for my app recap, I had built a, a kind of an interesting algorithm for, for how to determine when to send notifications uh, to your customers uh, about when they you know, should be reminded. With any kind of app that's, that's about tracking data, that doesn't get done automatically, like a sleep you know, there's lots of sleep trackers now where you can just wear it at night and you're good to go. But if in the case of coffee or caffeine, the Apple Watch can't yet detect that you, you know the caffeine in your bloodstream. So Not yet. you have to 
Yeah, so you have to manually remember to log it. And that's the biggest obstacle, honestly, is not getting someone to download the app. It's getting them to remember to use it. So I didn't want to have dumb notifications where the notifications would just kind of pop on every day at eight o'clock, for instance, or you set a time yourself. Like all those things to me, like we have computers for a reason. Why not have the app pay attention to how you drink caffeine, you know, how you consume caffeine, in other words, and let the app figure out when you probably missed a a, a log uh, item. So it'll notice like if every Wednesday for the last six weeks you had a coffee at 9 a.m., and by 10, 15, if you haven't logged it, you know, I'll, I'll send you a quick little reminder. So I wanted to talk about how I built that engine uh, and how I did that. And it's not, you know, a lot of people assume immediately that I went to some machine learning or complex thing. And it really isn't. It's, it's a much simpler algorithm for figuring that kind of stuff out. Just look at the last six weeks of data, make a prediction, you know, and then move forward. That is awesome. I am really looking forward to, to hearing this talk because yeah. that, that is something I am really interested in as well. Yeah, I think it's great. I think so many apps miss an opportunity with notifications to do them intelligently. Uh, and again, not that I've done it better than anyone, but I'm just saying like, I, I want to I encourage more people to think about this because it's not hard. If I can do this, then, you know, then other people can figure it out too. Yeah. So Kaya Thomas, who is the, one of the keynotes, gave an awesome talk, Try Swift last year on notifications. And like, yes. I think notifications are just totally underused. Or they're overused for like sales purposes, obviously. But I mean, like they're underused uh, in a helpful way to the user. You know, speaking of UI, like there's a lot. It, notifications can be very helpful to people, and I think they're just not they're not used correctly quite yet. Yeah, no, I, I could I completely agree. It's one of those technologies that can either annoy the ever living crap out of you or be a saving grace. And yep. the, the difference is all in design. It's all about how you think about when when these notifications should be coming uh, and your motivations for sending those. If if your motivation is to help the customer, I think you're going to be in much better shape than, like you said, when marketers are pushing you to, to throw out messages just to keep you quote unquote engaged. Uh, right, yeah, right. so yeah, it's one of those things that like I, if notifications were done, but no one is no one would argue that notifications shouldn't exist, right? In other words. But mm-hmm. uh, but they definitely should be done better than most apps are doing them. And again, it's not hard. It's just a matter of caring a little bit and, and thinking about it, I think. Yeah. So I will be speaking on the multi-threaded asynchronous parallel world of Swift, which Ooh. probably is not as exciting as it sounds. But uh, <laughs> I want to look at, like, uh, I have have experience with, my previous experience with C Sharp and JavaScript has started doing this where they have this, like, whole syntactic sugar for doing asynchronous calls uh, rather than closure hell that we have in Swift. Yes. And I wanted to look at, well, now we have Combine, too. So I'm going to be looking at Grand Central Dispatch, uh, there's like a Google Promises library, NSTask, Swift.io, all the different ways that you can do parallel asynchronous operations in Swift. Because I think with these powerful computers right now that we have in our hands, like we need to really take advantage of doing multiple tasks at the same time rather than, you know, just doing everything in a serial fashion. So that will be what my talk is about. I'm really looking forward to putting that on. Yeah, I, I really need to go to that talk <laughs> because <laughs> it's one of those things I always feel like I could definitely be better at this. I know, like, and that's the thing. Like, I, I just want, uh, you know, a simple you know, promise or something, whatever Apple wants to give us, give us an official way to basically say, like, this bit of data depends on this other process finishing first. And I want to do them in a, you know, uh, you know, a parallel fashion, but I need to know what the dependencies are and, you know, let me know when this happens. And yeah, there's, I've seen so many different ways of doing that and I've never found one that I was particularly happy with. So I'm looking forward to hearing my options here. That's good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So where can people get a hold of you? 
So yeah, people can always find me on Twitter. And my name is hard to spell, but it's just J-C-I-E-P-L-I-N-S-K-I. If you want to find something easier, you can find my website. is just joec.design. And you can also, if you're on micro.blog, you can find me there at Joe C because it's a lot easier. I wish I'd gotten Joe C for everything back in the day, but I couldn't. <laughs> but <laughs> any new services, I just grab Joe C as fast as I can. So yeah, there's that. And then uh, you can find my uh, podcast release notes. It uh, comes out every Monday and uh, you can just find that on you know, wherever you get podcasts, wherever you got this podcast. And that goes out weekly as well. Awesome. And then release notes will be in October this year, right? Yeah, release notes is going to be in Playa Mujeres in, in awesome. Mexico, uh, which is going to be amazing on October 3rd through 5th this year. And we do have a few tickets left. So if anyone's interested in that, the business of you know running a software company, that's kind of, you know, we get a lot of people in from the web and SaaS world. We do have a lot of iOS people in the community who have been coming to the show for a long time. So it's a great mixture of people and just really smart business people in the room that you get to chat with for a whole weekend. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I can't recommend, well, I can't recommend release notes more, but I think going back to your whole thing about Android, it's super important for those of us, especially who do a lot of Apple development, like get out, you know, talk to people in SaaS, Mm -hmm. you know, talk to people in Android because there's, there's a whole other world out there and different ways of doing things that I think would be helpful to a lot of developers uh, out there. Yeah, definitely. And business is the same, no matter, you know, if you're an Android developer, like all the contracting situation is basically the same. <laughs> you know, you're running into the same problems. And SaaS, same thing. You're trying to find customers to, to buy your products. Or you're trying to convince them to, to pay a subscription. Uh, you know, the web solved those problems long before they came to iOS. And yes. so talk, yeah. talking, talking to those folks about how they, they, you know, took on those challenges is so helpful. Yeah. And I cannot recommend your guys' podcast so much. Definitely check out Release Notes. Thanks, Joe, so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it.